You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Hello and welcome again to Hamtramck Now and Then, the podcast of the Hamtramck Historical Museum, done in, co- in cooperation with Podcast Detroit. Um, I'm Greg Kowalski, Executive Director of the Hamtramck Historical Museum. And here with me, or I'm with Joe, is Joe Koshut, who is the chairman of the board of directors of the Friends of Historical Hamtramck, which owns and operates the museum. Joe? Hello. How's it going, everyone? Good. Um, we have a special guest today, uh, Mickey Lyons, who is a uh, Hamtramck resident and a member of the board of the Friends of Historical Hamtramck and also an author and has got a really cool book out of one of the, this is one of the history press books, which is a sister company of Arcadia Publishing. And it's called Wicked Detroit. And it is wicked indeed. <laughs> it's some really cool stories. So let's start a little bit by uh, tell us a little bit about Wicked Detroit. Sure. So, um, The book is essentially a series of mini-biographies of some of Detroit's most notable, if not Detroit's best, historical characters. So there are ten chapters. Each chapter covers one person who is well-known to some in the history of Detroit, but not necessarily widely loved, I'd say. (laughs) A lot of people know the folks that you have in here, like Joseph Campo. They know the name. And... uh, and Cadillac, as we, uh, they know the name, but they really don't know who these people are. They really don't have a, a, an understanding of them. Right, and they may not want to. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but they're they? so colorful. Yeah. Right, absolutely. You know, they say, don't meet your heroes. Is yeah. that the phrase? <laughs> uh, for sure, yeah. These, um, the, the fellows, and they are all men. Um, interestingly enough, there's a, a fellow named Tobin Buke. I think I pronounced his name right who wrote Wicked Women of Detroit. Ah. And so the books came out round about the same time, so we ended up doing a lot of cross-promoting together. Mm-hmm. And everyone just always assumed that I, the woman, was Tobin, who wrote Wicked Women. <laughs> and he, the man, was Mickey, who wrote Wicked Detroit. But it was the opposite. Um, so, yeah, I mean, these these figures, these these heroic and storied names that we hear, Cadillac, Campo, mm. uh, Woodward, are not exactly the way that we would necessarily like to picture them, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, who, well, of this group here, and you, uh, who was your favorite? Who did you find the most, uh, favorite in a sense of who did you find most interesting? Uh, well, I definitely had some favorites. Mm-hmm. I would say the pub owners and the brothel keepers were my favorites. Oh, yeah, so, <laughs> of course. Hemtramic's own Patty McGraw, yeah. who Greg, I know you've written that. about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as well as Billy Bouchard, who is known mm-hmm. as the foist of the foist, mm-hmm. because he lived uh, and ran a tavern and brothel uh, down in the first ward, and mm-hmm. he was very heavily involved in politics and essentially mm-hmm. called all the shots. Mm-hmm. Now, this was in the early part of the 20th century. Right, right late 19th, early 20th, 20th century yeah. for Billy Bouchard. Mm-hmm. He's the only one in the book that I had not heard of before. Yeah. And I found him to be fascinating. Yeah. And I came across him because, first of all, he's in uh, John C. Lodge's autobiography. Mm-hmm. They, they, they swam in the Detroit River in the same swimming hole together as kids. Uh, and also because of a common misconception uh, in, in reporting through the 20th century in Detroit was that Billy Bouchard ran the Bucket of Blood Tavern. Mm-hmm. When, in fact, Billy Bouchard's tavern was at... 
uh, Bobian and Atwater, and there's a photo of it that was that was labeled at the time mm-hmm. of Billy Bouchard's, uh, and clearly labeled at uh, Bobian and Atwater. Whereas a friend and political ally of his uh, named Jim Nevels actually ran the Bucket of Blood Saloon. Mm-hmm. And that was up in Blackbottom. Mm-hmm. So Jim Nevels ran essentially the the ward just up the road from Billy Bouchard's, and he ran all the black janitors in the city of Detroit, and he told them who to vote for. Oh. So between Billy Bouchard and Jim Nevels, they pretty much strong-armed everyone within a several-mile radius into voting how they told them to. Yeah, fascinating. You know, and that's that's sort of the interesting thing uh, about about the saloons and the the bars of that time was it seemed like it. You know, I think it, I don't think it's much like it anymore. But it's like they were just big hubs for for politics and. You know, and mm-hmm. you getting votes, and you know, like you're in in the book, it mentions that um, people would be on ships or they'd be away, and then they'd come back and say they're living at a, a tavern or or a saloon, and they would vote, and then that that would be where their uh, you know where their uh, address would be would be the saloon. Mm-hmm. So it was it's really interesting. That's something I never really had even thought about. So yeah, yeah, yeah there were there were a lot of people living. In theory, at uh, Billy Bouchard's and Patty McGraw's taverns yeah. in the day, just so they'd have somewhere to vote. But it worked both ways. Mm-hmm. So if you came back, and back in the 19th and early 20th century, the saloons were really the center of right. of public and domestic and private life. In that, you, if you were in on a ship, on a merchant ship, or even in the navy or the coast guard, uh, you would have a room whenever you wanted it at Billy Bouchard's, and when you got off you know, off ship, off duty, you would cash your check there. You would keep your belongings there. Mm-hmm. He would keep an eye out on your stuff. He'd keep keep your dog for you while you were gone. So it, it definitely went both ways, you know. Mm-hmm. And he did all this for them with the understanding that they would vote how he told them to, and mm-hmm. they sure did. Huh. I'm always interested, too, in the story of Joseph Campbell. Yes. Because he is such, a, you know, an incredibly um, interesting character. Yes. And I noticed you have a, a photo of even of his grave over at Elmwood Cemetery. Yeah. Which, I was I was always fascinated by the story because I grew up Catholic, as many Hamtramck residents did. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that he was excommunicated yes. and died excommunicate, where all of the rest of the Campo clan are buried in Mount Elliot yes. in the Catholic yeah. Cemetery. He was the only one of quite a few people that was excommunicated by Father Gabriel Richard, Mm -hmm. in part for desecrating graves, um, and also because he was a Freemason, Mm -hmm. and Campo and Richard sort of battled till the end of their days against each other. (laughs) Although Campo outlived Richard by a good 30, 40 years. Yeah. Yeah. So... But and uh, you know you can go and visit his grave, which is actually very modest, which is surprisingly so. It is. I think I think someone told me that he when he died he was the richest man in Michigan. I believe I that's believe true. So. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it's it's a simple stone slab, but mm-hmm. that Freemason symbol is still there. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Now let's talk about our favorite uh, Patty. <laughs> so, Greg, I have to say I came across the story of Patty McGraw here in the museum oh, did you? <laughs> because we have Patty McGraw's violin, right? right? Exactly. And his old old newsboys yep. bag. Yes. So I don't know. Maybe you should give us a primer because you, you I heard the story from you first. Well, I, the, the, the Patty was uh, 
active in Hamtramck in the 1920s, mainly through the Prohibition era. And he was a very beloved citizen in Hamtramck at that time. He helped establish the Hamtramck Goodfellows, which provided gifts for uh, poor kids at Christmas, which the Goodfellows still do to, to this day. And he took in stray animals. He sponsored sports teams. He was everybody's friend, and he ran the biggest whorehouse in the whole area. <laughs> uh, but he, that didn't stop him from being a very upstanding citizen that people really liked. And uh, he did operate his place, the old uh, his place over uh, which was on the railroad tracks uh, around Clay Avenue, uh, which is the, the building is uh, gone. It was torn down to make way, unfortunately, for the Pole Town plant, the GM Town oh. plant. But I got to see it. Just before it was demolished, I wish I had, at that time, I wish I could have gone in there and really seen it, because I heard there was still a piano in there. Oh, And wow. I would love to have gone in there oh, and seen. Oh, my gosh, yeah. But he was legendary because his, the place was on the railroad tracks, and the, the guys would come from Toledo and Port Huron and arrive by train, and he had it set up, set up inside like a uh, an assembly line. You went off to the right, you went to the bar, you went off to the left, you went up the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> so, That's great. So, and you now tell us about his end, though. Oh, okay. So, well, part of the interesting thing about Patty is this sort of dichotomy of, you know, good guy, bad yes, guy, good yeah. guy, bad guy. Uh, he was nominated for a Carnegie Medal of something or other, of philanthropy, because he was an avid fisherman and an mm-hmm. avid um, boater, mm-hmm. especially on the St. Clair Flats out by Harsons Island. And he kept fishing people out of the river and saving them from drowning. As far as I can tell, we've got at least 11 documented cases with names and ages of people falling out of boats. Apparently, it's a little treacherous over there. Mm -hmm. Uh, People falling out of boats and Patty McGraw diving in and fishing them out, Mm -hmm. dusting them off, setting them up. There was three in one year he did. Wow. (laughs) So he had a place out on Harsons Island, and he was with, at at the time, his, I believe, his second common-law wife, Mm -hmm. uh, drinking with some buddies. His first common-law wife, it had not ended well, uh, and he ended up being sued by her family because they thought he poisoned her. Oh, my. (laughs) He was exonerated for that. Uh, But he was drinking with some friends, and there was an argument, Mm -hmm. and Patty McGraw was standing up, I believe, to change a light bulb, which Mm -hmm. you do when you're drunk in the middle of the night, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, yeah, why not? Standing on a chair, as I recall. Yeah, standing on a chair, and his buddy... just walked over him to him and whacked him with another chair, I believe. Yeah. And and he just died. Yeah. And so there was there was another a bunch of legal cases because did the guy murder him? Did he not? What kind right. of fight was this? Turned out he had a weakened heart, probably caused by considerable alcohol <laughs> consumption. Uh so so his friend was cleared, but it's just such a perfect end for Patty McGraw. True. You know? Yeah. Is was it a fight? Did he die? Was he killed? Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He went out the way he would have wanted to. I think it's it's kind of one of uh, well his his life in general being mm-hmm. you know what it was and you know his death being a mystery. But he also from from the book I read that um, a woman that he lived with I don't know if it was his wife but he was also uh, I don't know if he was under investigation for killing her but she died somehow and people yes. like her family actually thought that he killed her. Yes, yeah. so this was Minnie, his common-law wife. Okay. 
uh, who was, I think, technically married to someone else this whole time, but it was okay because he was too. <laughs> so she died very suddenly, and the entirety of her estate, which was pretty substantial, went to him, and he bought himself a new house, I think, out in Boston Edison. Um, and Minnie's sister and her husband were absolutely convinced that Patty had poisoned her Mm -hmm. uh, and that he had also somehow beaten her to death. So we weren't sure exactly which one of them it was, but they were convinced that he had killed her. And they even had her body exhumed. Uh, But all the charges were dropped or made to go away some way or the other. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I, I think it's interesting. He operated his place all through Prohibition and did just fine. But when Prohibition ended... He closed it up relatively quickly, saying there was just too much competition. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> no, pl- no place for the old, uh, for old, no country for old men, I guess. I guess yeah. <laughs> but, but I like to drive by, and you can go to that spot. And one of the things I like to do is like make you know touch history yeah. to actually go to the actual place. And right next door to that is the, I just discovered the, the old sugar house, which undoubtedly right. supplied material for his, uh, bootlegging operations. Oh but, yeah, for sure. It's, and so conveniently located on the railroad tracks. Perfect. Cause I mean, we did a ton of smuggling by rail and people it, don't talk about it much. Really? Yeah. Yeah. They, they like to think of the romance of, of, mm-hmm. you know, bringing it across the river in boats or mm-hmm. across the ice in cars, but. Really, it was a, a lot more practical to do it in bulk by rail. Okay. Well, one of the things I really liked about the book, and which you point out there, too, is that this is not a mean book. This is a book that kind of, it, it, these aren't really funny stories, but some of them are kind of funny. Yeah. And some of, yeah. They all have these quirky sides to them, and that's reflected all through the book. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're strange characters. They're strange yeah. characters, yeah. and that's a lot of that. Yeah, I I tried to find something good in all of them and managed to with nine out of ten. Yeah. So, what 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 kind of stood out to me was it seemed a lot of uh, a lot of those guys, especially in the early days, um, it seemed like they just they just gathered land, even if they didn't own it. It was like, okay, well, that that's mine now. Especially Cadillac. Yeah, uh, reading about him, which I didn't you know didn't know much about him uh, except for a little bit, but. When I read that, I was just like, "Wow!" <laughs> oh, he it's, was such a fraud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's it. Uh, it was kind of mind blowing, actually. Corruption yeah. is not a new concept. No, no. no. <laughs> From our founding fathers, indeed. Yeah, yeah truly. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he sold this idea of Detroit that is just now that we look at it, utterly unbelievable. He tells these stories mm-hmm. back in France about how. You know, Detroit, the, the land of the rivers and the straits is, is just this paradise where you can grow the best kind of Bordeaux wines and, and you have these beautiful, amazing, magical citrus orchards that sprout up from nothingness and they produce fruits that will cure the rat, the bite of a rattlesnake. You know, all of these crazy wild things that he says can be found here in Detroit. And, you know, it, oh, and something else about, you know, it never, ever snows there. Either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, oh. <laughs> Thanks, Cadillac. Yeah. Oh, my God. Boy, if he was around today. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, he'd go very far. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he'd be selling Cadillacs. Yeah, he'd be selling Cadillacs. <laughs> so is this your first book or did you have you done? 
It is my first mm-hmm. book. I have been working on another mm-hmm. uh, book for longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is so. This is only about a hundred and I don't know. Because one hundred and twenty-five pages. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the book that I've been working on for longer, that is still mm-hmm. in progress, is an academic uh, mm-hmm. full-length study on the history of prohibition in Detroit. That's that's a fascinating topic. It is, yeah. and a tough one to research. Yeah. Man, everybody's grandfather's cousin's roommate's brother ran booze for the Purple Gang. So. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The Purple Gang obviously had about two million members. Yes, yes, <laughs> and they, they did nothing but hang out at every bar right. and basement yes. in Detroit. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah. This, this is true. I've heard that, too, that... Yeah. They were everywhere, but yeah. uh, but it's a fascinating topic because Detroit was so key in prohibition. Yeah, being located by you know Canada and and Hamtramck, of course, played a big part in that as well too. Yeah. The Hamtramck mm-hmm. stuff is just fascinating mm-hmm. to me. You know, Hamtramck's prohibition history has is I'm sure you know, Greg, <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> worthy of several books. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty pretty interesting, truly. So yeah. So how do you get interested in history? Um, well, we, let's take this before we <laughs> jump into there. Tell us a little bit about yourself. All right. Will so, you? um, I'm a writer. Mm-hmm. I'm based in Detroit. I live in Hamtramck and have for about six years now. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as getting into history, it's kind of an interesting thing. I went, I did my undergrad at Wayne State in mm-hmm. English literature. Uh, and I was going to write about non Shakespearean Renaissance drama mm-hmm. in Ireland. And then I went to Boston College and did a master's study or a master's in Irish studies there and then did PhD work, uh, have not finished the dissertation mm-hmm. in 19th century British women's literature and aesthetic theory. And I got a fellowship to a library at Baylor University for the fall of 2013, mm-hmm. which meant I couldn't teach that semester, which mm-hmm. meant I lost my funding. So I was like, oh, well, I'll move back to Detroit and, you know, figure it out from there. I'm sure I can finish the dissertation from there. Uh, got a job within a week of coming back at the Detroit Bus Company mm-hmm. as their new tour director. Oh. So I directed the tours at the Detroit Bus Company, and I'd always been in love with Detroit's history. Mm-hmm. I'd always wanted to come back, just didn't know exactly how. And this was a really great way in, and it, it gave me sort of a crash course because I'm researching and learning and guiding all these tours right off the bat. And that led to the prohibition history because mm-hmm. um, it started just as I had to research enough to do a tour. And then I found, you know, no one's really writing that much about it. Yeah. A few years later, I understand why, because it's impossible to prove anything. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. That's the hard part, truly. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. Because if, if you were a really successful speakeasy owner, there's no record. Right. Because you didn't get caught. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and often I know when I when I do research, I find conflicting information, mm-hmm. and some of it will be completely opposite of what the other person said. Right, and right. Trying to sort that out, and it can be really, really difficult. So. Yeah, yeah. But it's detective work, and it's a lot of fun to it do is. too. And you get to find some some fun, cool, mm-hmm. interesting facts that others don't, and you can maybe change people's opinions. You mm-hmm. know, one of the chapters in the book uh, is about William Cotter Mayberry. Mm-hmm who has a terrible, terrible uh, reputation in part because his immediate predecessor was the great Hazen Pingree. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to come up after Hazen Pingree. But also because there was a Detroit, I believe he was a Detroit news editor, uh, and he was sort of the Mickey Rooney of his time, 
talking about how, you know, back in the old days, things were so wonderful. But he had this sort of very facetious, snarky writing tone. Mm -hmm. And because he wrote so much about Detroit in the 1880s, 1890s, 1900s, people after Bengay, who wrote in the 40s, read his work as if it were simply straight fact. Uh Because they said, well, he wrote for the Detroit News. But he was a columnist. Mm -hmm. Uh, and he was giving his own sort of, you know, sepia-tinted memories and also his own very, very specific slant and his own, you know, idea of what was proper and who he liked. And mm-hmm. he didn't like Mayberry. And mm-hmm. so everybody who talks about Mayberry now is for the most part using Bingay's account of Mayberry yeah. when he's maybe not such a credible source. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, yeah, we encountered that kind of stuff uh, going through all of this, researching through the various things. So Yeah. So so what's next on your list? Is this a – well, just kind of elaborate a little bit on the – you know, a little bit more on your Prohibition book. Yeah. So yeah. the Prohibition book is, is like I said, it's a full-length academic yeah. study. So it's, it's going to take some time. Uh, and I do work full-time too. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's grabbing it in – fits and snatches mm-hmm. while I can. Um, once that is finally out or while that is happening, I do also have a blog called uh, at prohibitiondetroit.com. Mm-hmm. For a while there, because I study so much um, Detroit bar history, uh, for a while there I did a challenge where I was trying to tend bar at every one of Detroit's former speakeasies oh my gosh. that we can prove. <laughs> Uh, and this came about in part because I was freelancing as a writer for a while and also bar- bartending mm-hmm. and ended up just picking up shifts here and there at different bars. So I've got, I think, uh, almost a dozen of them in and only just like a couple to go. Oh, really? There's still that many left, though? I mean, yeah. yeah. In, in Detroit proper, again, and, and, you know, it's like when people say, what's the oldest bar in Detroit? It's like, well, you know. Nothing's been continuously operating since 1933, or since before 1933. So uh, bars that are in the same building that they started in, mm-hmm. uh, continuously operating at least since during Prohibition, you know, mm-hmm. in some way or another so we can prove that they were a speakeasy. Right. Uh, I think there's about 10 or 11 of them. Well, that's amazing. And, you know, that, that includes the DAC. Oh, really? Does it? Yeah. They were serving alcohol during Prohibition. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, uh, I'm not so sure about this. This is not a good thing. <laughs> no, club, club members legally could. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. If they had, Michigan has all these weird loopholes, but club yeah. members, if you had purchased the alcohol before Prohibition started, right. mm-hmm. So, of course, they filled their basements and had stockpiles of it. <laughs> well, they could do that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's a building, uh, I think it's at the corner of Van Dyke and Jefferson. That was, wasn't that a famous one at one point? Yes. And I just did, gosh, not this last December, but the one before, I guess, Mm -hmm. um, a segment with WDIV on that. It was Mm -hmm. the, um, I'm drawing a complete and total blank on it. I, I, I remember that it was. <laughs> it, it was a was famous noted. speakeasy. It was yeah. one of the best, most well known, and I am completely blanking out on the actual name of it. I don't. It was it. run by a couple of brothers that were famed across mm-hmm. New York and Florida and Metro Detroit. Mm-hmm. One of them later went on to found Blossom Heath mm-hmm. in St. Clair Shores. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and it and it was very swanky. So 
it, it was very much like most people think of a speakeasy. High mm-hmm. class, palm trees, piano music, <laughs> coupe glasses full Perfect. of champagne from Windsor, um, and, and like secret hiding places, mm-hmm. you know, secret things that you press in the door to let, to be let into secret rooms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great place. Cool. So are you still doing these tours at this point with the pandemic? Or no. Is it, uh, no. We had we, to, I was doing them once a month with the Detroit bus company still. Uh-huh. Um, but, and, and we actually did, the tour stops at the intersection of Clay and St. Alvin oh, to, yeah, yeah. to discuss Patty. Uh, but it, they are definitely on hold right now. Yeah. Well, hopefully once we get through with all this, you'll be able to resume that because I, I want to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see that. It's fun. You know, yeah. a lot, a lot of towns are able to do walking tours of, yeah. of history and because Detroit is so spread out, it's, yeah. you got to have a car or a bus. So, yeah. 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 But it is, Detroit has got an amazing history, too. Not that it can compare with Hamtramck's of history. Of course. But, but we have just, the whole world in two square miles. Yes, yeah, we do. <laughs> they only have part of it. Exactly. <laughs> so, so that's good. Yeah, yeah. So looking ahead, do you have any ideas of, of future books, you, you know, beyond this? Yeah, well, future books, a uh, couple in mind, uh, Irish history in Detroit, because mm-hmm. i got to put that degree to work somehow or other. That would uh, actually be a very interesting topic, too. It is. Cork Town and, you know. Mm-hmm. Yep, and there's there's some really interesting stuff that I don't think we've fully explored yet. Yeah. Uh, but right now, currently, my, my other current side project is Detroit Drinks History, mm-hmm. which is a website and a podcast that explores Detroit's history as seen through sort of the the drinking establishments and the characters as well as drinking law. So it's topic X in Detroit history as seen in relation to alcohol. So Sunday blue laws and and baseball games and the Lind LAC and baseball games, cool. that kind of thing. So does this include Hamtramck too, or is it just strictly Detroit? I'll do Hamtramck and Highland Park for yeah. sure. Because yeah. we've got, you know, so many things that were involved in this too. And oh, of no. course, Prohibition was so, you know, a huge issue here. And yeah. Totally ignored by 99% of the people. Mm-hmm. And with two mayors who went to prison. I know. Because, <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah. And, and we're well, community heroes. Didn't we even <laughs> oh, yeah. had there were officials that were coming from from Detroit to actually party, you know, if you yeah. want to call it that party in, in Hamtramck during Prohibition. So that mm-hmm. goes to tell you Hamtramck mm-hmm. was was like the Wild West yes. back then. Yeah. <laughs> it was called the Wild West of the Midwest yes. by, by uh, people and journalists back then. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of cross history with that, but it's a fascinating topic and yeah. You've got a really good handle on that too. Thank you. So Thank it'll be, you. It'll be good. I'm looking forward to that too. Yeah, me too. It's been it's so. been fun to to research and develop. Great. So, um, Joe, any comments? Um, yeah, I actually. Uh, what what pulled you into uh, to researching the the guys that you uh, that you wrote about in Wicked Detroit? Oh man, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, you know, some of them I had known from the start. I don't think you can write a book about wicked people in Detroit without the founding father Cadillac right. of wickedness. Yeah. Uh, the others were just, you know, I've always had a soft spot for the bar owners or the brothel keepers. So that's where Patty and <laughs> Billy made it in there. We all do. Right, right. And then living in Hamtramck yep. as I do, there are two compos in there, Joseph Compo and Daniel Compo, his mm-hmm. grandson. Uh, the others just sort of filled it out. You know, you can't not talk about Woodward. And if you talk about Woodward, you have to talk about William Hull, who's the general who lost Detroit in the War of 1812. So it just sort of 
organically sort of all kind of flew, you know, flew together like that. Yeah. Yep. And now you mentioned uh, Daniel Campo. He was he was actually really interesting to read about too because I really didn't know much about him at all. And it was um, he actually ran what was it the Hamtramck Racetrack, which yeah. that was down mm-hmm. on uh, was that uh, Van, Van Dyke and Jefferson Around area D- uh, towards that way, yeah, yeah Jefferson yeah. and Marlboro, okay. I believe. So down in Jefferson Chalmers, okay, yeah. And you can still see if you're in Jefferson Chalmers, the entrance to Marlboro Street is a boulevard mm-hmm. because that used to be the entrance to the oh, racetrack really? there. Huh. Yeah. We got to check that out. Yeah, we'll have to yeah. check that out for sure. <laughs> I love seeing all those ghost signs of, of old architecture well, that are still around. Joe and I occasionally will go hunting for mm-hmm. uh, Hamtramck Township remnants. Oh, neat. And it's pretty awesome. Yeah. That's cool. You're going to have to come with us one yeah. day. We uh-huh. Yeah. Because yeah, there's, as I mean, we've said in, in previous podcasts, there are so many things out there, so many buildings and just yeah. little, little things that most people nowadays, you know, they wouldn't even think about. You mm-hmm. know, there are old uh, missile sites from, from the Cold War era. I mean, obviously they don't have missiles or anything now, but, you know, just going there and being like, okay, there was a missile right here, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, and just in case, you know, something happened with, with the Soviet Union, that right. it was, yeah. it's just, it's really interesting to, to see stuff like that and yeah. just to go around and, you know, like as, as we drove around, we've, we see uh, old buildings, and you can tell that they're banks just yes. by the way that they're right. set up. Yeah. You know, and yeah. you—I mean, drive around Detroit, you'll see probably thirty of them. Well, once again, it's a, the thing that we kind of focus on too is that you got to look. Yes, you yep. really got to take a look, and you'll find all kinds of little treasures. Yeah. So I think we're going to wrap this up as we get to the end of our half hour here. So. Um, thank you, first of all, for coming yeah. today. And your book is available here at the museum and at Barnes and Noble, and I think there's a Costco and every place else okay. usually, and <laughs> yep. Polish Art Center next to the museum. Excellent. And so check it out, folks. It's really a good read. And yeah. Thank you all for tuning in, and don't forget to visit the museum. We're at nine five two five Joseph Campo in the heart of Hamtramck. And you can learn more about us on our face on Facebook and our website, which is hamtramichistory.org. And you can follow us on Facebook and, of course, with the podcast, which is continuing on. This is Episode 7, as a matter of fact. And we want to thank Podcast Detroit for making this possible, too. We really couldn't do this without them. And we really, really appreciate all that they have done. So we're going to wrap up this edition. We will be back again with another one. A new one uh, next week. Thank yep. you. 